listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Or if you're in the area, come visit us in person. Today is the third Sunday in Advent, and what we're doing is we're continuing a series that we're on in the midst of Christmas called Wait For It. We're talking about all of the things that we as Christians wait for. All of life, in a sense, is one big existential waiting room. It's kind of an an Advent, which means arrival. Advent is time of preparation as we wait to, to celebrate Christmas season. And as Christians, this waiting is even more poignant in many ways because as Christians, we live in the now but not yet. What I mean is that when Jesus came to inaugurate his kingdom here on earth, it is a living reality, right? We catch glimpses and glimmers of it, but it's not here in in full, right? So we're still still waiting for it to arrive. So that's the the now, the not yet part, right? we're, We're awaiting God's promises to be fulfilled. So we've talked about all of the different things that we as Christians wait for. The first week we talked about waiting for the second coming of Jesus, that he is going to return again to judge the living and the dead. The second week we talked about waiting for peace. We all long for peace and uh, our world seems to think that we can attain it on our own, but we learned that that peace is a gift from God, a fruit of the Spirit. And today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about joy. We wait for joy. So our text today comes from the book of Isaiah. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there with me now. The book of Isaiah, chapter 35, verses 1 through 10. And I'll ask you to rise this morning for the reading of God's Word. Isaiah 35, beginning at verse 1. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame men leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes, and a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess we long for this day when sorrow and sighing will flee away. And there are so many reasons to sorrow and sigh in our world today. God, I pray that you would teach us this morning. Teach us about joy, about the lasting joy that you offer. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Despite what the Hallmark commercials and the Lexus commercials might tell us, Christmas is a time of immense pain and loneliness for many people. It's a fresh reminder of the loved ones we've lost, the family we're separated from. For many, it's a time of economic hardship with the holiday commercials reminding us of the many things we'll never be able to afford. It's also a time when people feel the crushing weight of the law, which sounds kind of strange. You would think Christmas is gospel, it's good news, but people feel the weight of of the law as well. Here's what I mean. There's all this pressure to be happy. Have you felt this? Happy and joyful and put a smile on that face. So around Christmas time, there's, there's this pressure that we feel to be bubbly. And in an environment like that, feeling sad, it, it just seems like a sin. So you can't really be honest about your pain and, and your lack of joy during a season that's supposed to be especially joyful. Right? Maybe you feel unhappy and you feel guilty for feeling unhappy because you're supposed to be happy, which makes you even less happy. There's this vicious cycle. Like, even if you are living through something terrible, a tragedy, the unspoken rule of the season is just, you know, kind of keep it to yourself, (laughs) or at least wait until Christmas is over, then we can, can deal with it. We might not always see it, but if you probe a little deeper behind all of the smiles and well wishes and assurances that life is, is great and wonderful, you'll discover a truth. There is a distinct lack of joy in our world and in our hearts. No matter how much eggnog we drink or how ugly our Christmas sweaters are. In our text today, Isaiah paints a picture of creation restored. And Isaiah's imagery is stunning. We started to talk about this a little bit last week. But it's absolutely stunning because what Isaiah is doing is he's giving us a glimpse behind the curtain. He's giving us a glimpse of what the new heavens and the new earth are going to be like. At the end of time, when Jesus comes to take believers to be with him, he's saying, this is how life is going to be. And it is a picture of pure joy, pure, unfettered joy. Not a guarded kind of joy, like we don't want to get our hopes up too much, a.k.a. Vikings fans, or they might be crushed, I've been there, guys. I've been there. Not a temporary kind of joy that sputters out, that comes from the excitement of a a new Christmas present, right? That Red Ryder BB gun looks pretty awesome, but at some point, you're going to either shoot your eye out or it's going to lose its luster. That's not what Isaiah is talking about. He's talking about something entirely different. This is undiluted, unabashed, pure joy. 
And as we walk through this passage this morning, we're going to learn four different things about joy. Joy is, number one, a gift of God. It is for anxious hearts in the midst of exile, which makes dead things live. Joy is a gift of God for anxious hearts in the midst of exile, which makes dead things live. So first off, it's a gift of God. Now, you've all heard this phrase, the pursuit of happiness, right? Pretty familiar. It's what it means to be an American. It's written into our Constitution. It's something we're all entitled to, an unalienable right. And the working assumption behind this is that happiness is something we can attain if we work hard enough for it. We spend our lives pursuing it, going after it, hunting it down, all with the hopes that someday we're going to arrive, right? That we're going to to be content. It's entirely up to us to, to grasp hold of this thing called happiness. Christian joy, though, is categorically different. It's not something we own. It's entirely the gift of God, a fruit of the Spirit that He gives us apart from our own works. In his autobiography, Surprised by Joy, C.S. Lewis makes this profound observation. He says, all joy reminds. All joy reminds. It is never a possession, always a desire for something longer ago and further away or still about to be. You see this picture painted in his Narnia series all over the place. So good, right? Joy is never a possession. And the thing is, if something is not your possession, then it's not something that can be stolen from you, is it? Joy is also not just a feeling. Now, it can be. We are embodied creatures, embodied human beings, so when God gives us His joy, it makes sense that at times that joy manifests in external kinds of ways. You know, the, the, the symbol for joy that we just did is, is this, is like your heart kind of fluttering. And we have those moments, right, a, a thrill of hope. That does happen, but we can't reduce joy to a feeling. So joy is not just this feeling like that you have to try really, really hard to maintain. A kind of smile through the pain if you want to be a good Christian attitude or grin and bear it for Jesus. It's not a thing. Joy, truly biblical joy, is entirely a miraculous gift of God. It exists independent of our feelings because it's God who generates it in the first place. We see this all over our passage in Isaiah today. Who is the one making the desert bloom? God. Who is the one who opens the eyes of the blind and makes the lame man leap like the deer? God. And in the New Testament, we find out that this is Jesus Christ literally putting mud on blind people and making them see, opening tongues of the mute so that they can speak, and and healing paralytics so that they can walk. It's all God. Who transforms the wilderness into a lush, reedy place? God. Who establishes the highway, the way of holiness, where those who belong to Jesus will one day walk? God. Who protects the road from predators? 
God. Who expels sorrow and sighing and sadness? God. Picking up on this pattern here, right? First and foremost, joy is a gift of God. Number two, joy is for anxious hearts. It's for anxious hearts. We live in the midst of incredibly anxious time. The past few years have been rough, to put it lightly. They've pressed many of us close to the breaking point, physically, emotionally, spiritually. I know pastors, good pastors who have left the ministry. I know marriages that have broken up. Stress levels are through the roof. I don't have to tell you this. A recent study done by the World Health Organization found that during the first year of COVID-19, global prevalence of anxiety and depression went up by 25%. That's way beyond statistically significant. Anxiety is an incredibly painful thing to live with. The power of anxiety comes from the fact that you're never really living in the present, like you're physically there, but you're constantly projecting worst-case scenarios, living in a future that may or may not come to pass. You're kind of living in a, in a non-reality. Now, sometimes it, it manifests in physical ways, right? Your heart rate increases, you freeze up, you, you have a panic attack. So whether it's just kind of a, a general fear of or a, a general unsettledness, which is something we can all identify with, or something as, as extreme as a medically diagnosable condition that should be treated, we've all had moments, if not days, when we feel like we're living on the knife's edge, barely treading water, overwhelmed by forces too strong for us to handle. We know what it is to have an anxious heart, don't we? And God does too. He knows we're prone to fear, prone to anxiety. And get this, God's response to us in the midst of that is not get over it, try harder, don't be a scaredy cat. The absolute worst thing you can say to someone struggling with anxiety is don't be anxious. <laughs> Not particularly effective. Like They're like, oh, I never thought of that. So God doesn't say that. Instead, he offers these words of comfort, verses 3 through 4. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. God encourages us to strengthen one another in the midst of our anxieties. To remind each other again and again because we always forget of His promises. The advice He gives fearful people with trembling knees and anxious hearts is that you are not alone. God is coming to rescue you. God never shames an anxious heart. It's not how He operates. Instead, He invites us to come to Him to be honest with Him, 
because He loves us and He cares for us and He will never turn us away. See, friends, Jesus is bigger and stronger than all of your deepest anxieties because He defeated them 2,000 years ago on a cross at Golgotha. So fear not, if you have an anxious heart this morning, God will not cast you aside. He is for you, and He sends Emmanuel, God, with us. God is with you today. Joy is a gift from God for anxious hearts, number three, in the midst of exile. So I'm going to do something. I'm going to throw a bunch of names and dates and places at you right now. If you don't understand all these Totally okay, just hold your breath. I promise we'll come out of it in a short time. All right, here we go. Isaiah was a prophet who lived during a very tumultuous time in Israel's history, somewhere around 740 to 681 B.C. And during this time, Israel, the kingdom of Israel, was split in two. God's people were divided between the northern kingdom and then the southern kingdom of Judah. Isaiah was a prophet to the southern kingdom of Judah during the reign of kings Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And a big part of what Isaiah did, a big part of a prophet's job, was actually predicting the future. God would give them a word, and they would speak that word to the people. They didn't have Bibles. Everyone didn't have a Bible to turn to to hear God's word. They had prophets back then. And so what he was predicting was that as a result of their idolatry, God was going to judge both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of Israel. He's going to judge the northern kingdom at the hands of the Assyrians. And in 722 B.C., the northern kingdom fell. And then he was going to judge the southern kingdom at the hands of the Babylonians. And that fell in 586 B.C. And the Israelites, God's chosen people, were going to be taken captive and hauled away to a foreign land, languishing in exile as they suffered the consequences of their sin. But God's word of condemnation, it was always, it was always coupled together with another word, a word of encouragement, a word of of a hope, a word of promise that a remnant from Israel would return to the promised land. And that's exactly what happened. So after 70 years in exile, waiting, King Cyrus of the Persians defeated the Babylonians. The Israelites were set free, and they were able to return to Jerusalem under Zerubbabel, and later on with Ezra and Nehemiah to rebuild the temple. And in today's passage, Isaiah paints this this beautiful picture of what this joyous homecoming will look like. These captives in exile returning to their beloved homeland. They'd been languishing in prison, waiting for a Redeemer, waiting for a Savior to free them and lead them back home. And Israel's story is our story too. We've all experienced exile. We know what it's like to wait in a joyless prison cell, separated from the people we love, the places we love, the God we love. Exile from ourselves, which is really what anxiety is. Exile from God, from creation, and from other people. All of this is the natural consequence of human failure. Scripture has a word for this failure. It's called sin. 
Wages of sin is death, something we're born into. Eternal separation from God, who is the source of all love, of, of everything good and holy and beautiful and true. We rightly deserve His wrath and condemnation. We're born into it. We rightly deserve to languish in exile forever. The good news is that God doesn't give us what we deserve. He doesn't leave us in exile. He sends a rescuer in the form of His own Son to, to break the chains and give us freedom. He was born in a manger, died on a cross, rose again to save you from your sin and to make a way for you to have peace and a relationship with God. See, Jesus is the one who leads us out of our captivity to our own sin and into the promised land of life, forgiveness, and salvation. He alone can give us rest for our weary souls. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. And His offer of salvation still stands today for any who would believe in Him. Joy is a gift from God. For anxious hearts in the midst of exile, number four, which makes dead things live. This is what God's joy, true joy, does. Like I said here, Isaiah's imagery is, is really striking. And by the way, if, if you're looking for like a devotional exercise to do maybe throughout this next week, a good one would, a good one would be to take this passage to read it through maybe two, three times a day and grab one little word or one little phrase from that passage and meditate on it throughout the day and, and think upon it. Isaiah pictures a dry and arid desert rejoicing and blossoming. It's this totally paradoxical picture, right? Because deserts don't do this. Deserts are dry. Deserts are known as lifeless places. But flowers are blooming in the wilderness, burning sand transformed into pools of water, dry ground into springs. There's like these oases appearing everywhere, rocky land into a thriving wetland. In a nutshell, God is making dead things come alive. And it happens instantaneously too. That's what caught me about this passage. Is it's not a, a gradual thing. You see nothing here of it being a, you know, little by little. It's no, 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 there is death and now there is life. And isn't that how joy seems to work? It catches us by surprise. Life seems joyless, and all of a sudden we get a glimpse of something beautiful that God is doing, completely reversing our expectations. See, God is in the business of making dead things live. Whether it's bringing a dead sinner back to life through the power of His Word, or bringing joy to a, to a situation seemingly devoid of hope. Richard Stearns, who is the president of World Vision, he was reflecting on a recent visit to a church in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, nearly a year after the devastating earthquake. It's crazy. He says that the church's building consisted of a tent made from white tarps and duct tape, 
pitched in the middle of a sprawling camp for thousands of people still homeless from the earthquake. This is how he describes the church and the lesson he learned in Haiti. In the front row sat six amputees ranging in age from six to sixty. They were clapping and smiling as they sang song after song and lifted their prayers to God. The worship was full of hope and with thanksgiving to the Lord. No one was singing louder or praying more fervently than Demosi Lufine, a 32-year-old unemployed single mother of two. During the earthquake, a collapsed building crushed her right arm and left leg, and four days later, both limbs had to be amputated. She was leading the choir, leading prayers, standing on her prosthesis, and lifting her one hand high in, in praise of God. Following the service, he says, I met Demosi's two daughters, ages 8 and 10. Three of them now live in a tent five feet tall and perhaps eight feet wide. Despite losing her job, her home, and two limbs, she is deeply grateful because God spared her life on January 12th of last year. He brought me back like Lazarus, giving me the gift of life, says Demosi. Even in the midst of death, God is bringing life. He wants to bring life to the haunted, death-dealing places in your hearts this morning as well. So, just to review, joy is a gift of God for anxious hearts in the midst of exile, which makes dead things live. I love what New Testament scholar John Oswalt says about joy, and this is a good place to end. He says, joy is always a byproduct of the presence of God in his world. So as we wrap up our time together this morning, may God give us the eyes to see this active presence and to experience the true joy that only he can bring. Hebrews 12, 12 says, let us look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's pastor K-J-O-L-H-A-U-G at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen.